This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. This is Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. Do I exist for God, or does God exist for me? That's the question that I, I think animates Dean and Sarah's new book, Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity, published by Moody. Well, or maybe it's this line in the book, we can't make Christianity cooler. Well, Dean explains his argument this way, quote, the entire premise of this book is that spiritual victory and earthly victory are not synonymous. He identifies a new kind of prosperity gospel that promises earthly success along with spiritual abundance, but he can find no such Christianity in the Bible. Dean serves as founding pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, and I thought this description explains what I appreciate about his book. Dean writes, In a therapeutic society, the achievement of self-fulfillment with God's apparent stamp of approval is the perfect recipe for Christians to desire the things of this world while still feeling as if they are close to Jesus and he is very pleased. It appeases our need to know God isn't mad at us while giving us license to continue on making much of ourselves. So what's the alternative? Dean says, I want to win people with a message that would still apply if my church was in a third world country, meeting in secret with nothing more than a single shared Bible, the message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. It's a perfect fit for this program, Gospel Bound. And he joins me now to discuss the divide between seminary classrooms and popular Christianity, Instagram as instigator in crisis counseling, and why he doesn't think God wants us to be happy. <laughs> Dean, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Colin. A longtime listener of Gospel Bound, and I'm really honored to be a part of the, part of the show today, part of the program. Uh, part of the program. All right, Dean. Well, how would you... How would you sort of date the trend that you're describing? Is this a recent shift you've seen in preaching toward God as a gateway to our own delights and dreams? Or is this something that goes back centuries or, I mean, hey, even to the Garden of Eden? Um, I do believe it ultimately goes back to the Garden of Eden, you know, where Eve believed the lie that she could go around God for all the things she was looking for rather than right to him. But in terms of being a mainstream, non-fringe Christian messaging, I think it's very new. I think that Instagram and as social media has increased, uh, that this messaging has become all the more popular. I call it the Instagramification of the faith and pastoring a church with a lot of college students and a lot of young adults. Uh, and then I'm 40, a lot of people my age as well. Uh, I'm seeing this messaging infiltrate into every area of their lives, all under the banner of Christianity. Dare I ask you what the TikTokification of Christianity would be? Oh, this would be in that same realm, uh, probably a little more extreme. I don't, I don't think we've quite seen the full effect. That's the next book, maybe. I don't think we've seen okay. the full effects of that yet. 
All right, we're just making up terms here. Um, now, describe the disparity that you see between seminary classrooms and popular Christianity. You just mentioned it right there. You spend a lot of time pastoring young adults, college students. Yeah, what is that? How's that? What's that disparity? Well, they're much more aware of what I call these new prosperity preachers. And again, the what I call the old prosperity gospel still exists clearly, but it's going to be really dismissed as being very fringe. And that's the messaging of God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, you know, late night TV, televangelist kind of preachers. That can be dismissed pretty quickly. Of course, people still sadly gravitate towards it. But again, it's its own little category. This new prosperity gospel is very savvy, very cool. Uh, it's very hip. Uh, it's very social media savvy. Uh, and it's really the opposite of fringe. It's become very mainstream. And it's that self-help message that God wants you to basically reach your potential like your personal potential and ambitions in life. And how it's different than the seminary world is I think a lot of maybe the people that you and I look to for theology, for doctrine, for commentary, uh, that obviously are gospel-centered people that are preaching the truth, communicating the truth, that have really blessed a generation of pastors and Christian leaders— these are people that this generation, they have absolutely no idea who these guys are. <laughs> I don't mean that disrespectfully, but a lot of who our heroes might be, these, and I don't even mean, not even just heroes, that might even be the wrong word, just our mentors and people we look towards and respect, this generation doesn't know them. Uh, the, the pastors they're listening to have over a million Instagram followers and are all over YouTube. Uh, so there's really a disconnect between who we are looking to and who we have been trained by and who people in many congregations around America are actually listening to and are being trained by without even realizing they're being trained. So is it sounds a little bit like a, a soundbite type Christianity or what you can fit in a graphic, a quote graphic on Instagram. Um, is that spiritually satisfying? What are people looking for that makes them just just draws them to that? I think it's spiritually satisfying in the moment. Then you have to find the next graphic, the next power mm -hmm. quote, the next inspiration, the next service, the next meme. And what it's drawing, what allows them to be drawn towards, towards it is that it gives them, you know, enough of Jesus to feel like they're Christian. And I'm throwing air quotes in the air, but mm -hmm. not so much where it interferes with anything. So it allows oh, you to okay. go full speed ahead for whatever worldly ambition or desire you might have and do it under the banner of the Christian faith. Uh, so again, we're not going to work through texts. So we're not going to have any type of theology. Uh, we're just going to say things like, God wants to take your setback and turn it into a comeback. Yeah. So that's how they would approach suffering. Rather than talking about how God's going to use suffering to point us to his sovereignty, to make us more like Christ, to increase our faith, instead, God wants to use those kind of things in your life to set you up for something big. So there's mm -hmm. God language in there. You, you talk about faith. You, you use that kind of language so it sounds kosher when really it's just this worldly sort of marketing attached to God's name. Is this just kind of like Joel Osteen stuff, or is it different somehow from what Joel Osteen's been doing for decades? So I'm glad you asked that because I think – because I've done so much reading on this because I'm just – as I wrote the book, I'm just so interested in it and because I, I really feel a burden towards it because I'm seeing so many people – gravitate towards it. And in the world I'm in, which is kind of this like street level, you know, carrying out the Christian faith locally through the church, I just see it everywhere. So I'm glad you brought up Osteen, because I think Osteen is the bridge between okay. the old prosperity gospel uh, and the new prosperity gospel. Okay. So it's some of the same messaging as the old prosperity gospel, but he comes across much more polished, 
uh, kind of more, I, I guess you could say their services are, are more excellent to use that word in terms of the production and, the, and those type of things. And his messaging, like a your best life now, live your best life, that type of thing. It resonates more with a new prosperity gospel while he still holds to some of the fundamentals of the old prosperity gospel. So I think Osteen is the bridge. Mm. Well, he, I mean, literally was right with his own father. Oh, yeah. In his church. I mean, his father was a far more overt old school prosperity preacher, if I remember correctly. He definitely was. And I, so I think okay. Osteen is kind of who we can thank for making all this possible. Okay. <laughs> so it's like. So, so an entire generation of younger preachers and other Christian influencers who have seen that and then adopted that, especially for new social media. Would that be a good way to describe yeah, it? Yeah, and just to be real frank about it, I would say they took the Osteen messaging and made it less cheesy. Ah, uh, okay. Made it more All cool, right. made it more hip, and maybe put a okay. little, just kind of wordsmith things a little bit better. And, and okay. therefore, it's really, it's, it's pretty genius marketing. That's what a lot of this really is, Colin. It really comes okay. down to uh, just marketing the faith in a way that allows you to be really non-controversial with people to never offend anyone and allow folks to walk out of a church or to move on to the next Instagram slide, uh, feeling not just good about their faith, but good about you because you're the one who inspired them to achieve greatness in their life. Yeah. Well, this next question is going to sound, I guess, like a pretty easy setup here, but I mean it genuinely. Is it, is it possible to have Jesus and the career and the finances and the body and the influence of the elite, or does following Jesus require we forsake some or all of this package? I think it's definitely possible. And I do know believers who I would say had the things they've always dreamed of in their lives. It's professional baseball players that, that, I, that I know, mm-hmm. or people who own their own business, or, or who are even stay-at-home moms, or, or that people that have, are doing mm-hmm. what they always wanted to do with their life. So I definitely think that can be consistent with the Christian faith. But it's also non-coincidental that Jesus and the scriptures warn us over and over again about what that can do to us. You know that one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible is people like to say money is the root of all evil. It's like, that's not what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, So I think that that warning is there for a reason. We have to be very careful of it. But I think where I'm concerned is what if those things were taken away? Or what if those dreams weren't achieved? Because most people are going to live pretty mundane and basic lives by the standards of this world. And in this new prosperity gospel, this kind of self-help, potential, realized Christianity, those are kind of the bad words, like settling, mundane, basic, average. Those are almost like the curse words of the new prosperity gospel. And what they would say is you're settling for less than God's best for you. What they mean by God's best is your personal success, your dreams being fulfilled, your happiness in the moment. So where it gets complicated is a lot of how people would allow their faith to be worked out in these areas would not be able to work if they were placed in a different economic context, a different world context, living in a different country even. And I can't see that as actually a biblical faith, one that's very dependent upon circumstances being a certain way in order to thrive and flourish. Is that old health and wealth message of late night Christian television, is that still going strong or has this kind of subsumed that? What What's the latest update there? Well, I continue to hear that it's gaining traction around the world. I'm hearing that there's many churches in Africa who are, who are grabbing onto that, which is unfortunate. Uh, thankfully, we have very faithful missionaries there as well. Uh, but it's still there some, but I think that people can have this new prosperity gospel and not be embarrassed by it. So they might want some of the the communication, some of the the, uh, truth and air quotes that's communicated by the old prosperity gospel, 
but they want to it to be hip, cool, trendy. They want to still, you know, be it be attractive and it'd be something you shouldn't be embarrassed about sharing online because online is where a lot of it is really filtered out is where it's really communicated yeah. and it's really expressed. So I think it's still there, but it's just this generation wants something that is far less embarrassing because really they want to make Christianity cool. Hmm. Um, well, now contrary to that, you describe Christianity as feeling like fish out of water in this life. So, give me an example of the different dreams, different goals, different desires Christians should have. And, and I'm asking you to be specific here because um, about even some of the the decisions that churchgoers make that that you think have gone too far. Yeah, well, I worry that for some people they would not be able to have a worship service with a local church where they were satisfied if they moved to a town that didn't have a full speed bells and whistles, Ted talk like Mm. professional communicator skills, a kind Mm. of pastor that they wouldn't be able to actually function and be a part of a local church that this experience, they love that word experience has to be a 10 out of 10 on the scale uh, in order uh, for someone to be able, they would say, to experience God or to feel connected or to be fed or, or whatever kind of language they might use. That's really concerning, uh, especially as uh, as we see uh, people that are even going further away from church and having church online. and insta- So now I can just go to my favorite communicator, as they would call it, or I can just go listen to my favorite worship music over here and be disconnected from a church because the church in my town just isn't good enough, or the 47 churches in your town aren't good enough. And by that, it's really about style and skill and personality rather than actually content and the hearts of the believers. So what do I have some goals to be for just my own life? I want to look in the mirror first. Like I want to see the mundane things and the basic things of life as the areas where God is growing me, as, as the areas where faithfulness actually occurs. So I know it's cliche to say, oh, we want faithfulness over fruitfulness. Well, I want to see both happen in my life. I want it to be faithful to the scriptures and to God's calling upon my life in terms of how he's placed me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend. And also I want to be fruitful in that faithfulness towards the Great Commission. Like I, I want that to be the goal. So when people say things, it's really common to hear them say, God wants us to dream God-sized dreams. And that's very popular language, the New Prosperity Gospel. But by that, it often means you achieving something amazing. You know, big stage, you know, New York City, best internship, you know, best job. Uh, when I, If we're going to say that God wants us to dream big God dreams, I don't really see that as disconnected from the Great Commission. But like the dream, if God has a dream for his people, I, I think it's to be conformed to the image of Christ, because that's what he's working things together for our good, for those who love him, to make us more like Jesus. And after that, I, I would say it's the Great Commission. Like, like those are God, the God-sized dreams that he has for us. And so to answer your question specifically, I want those goals to be enough for me. Now, I'm not even saying I'm there, because I'm influenced by the world all the time, right? like probably any American Christian is. That doesn't make it okay. It's just a constant barrier in my life to these things being fulfilled. But I want those two realities to be dream-reaching for me, that I'm faithful to Christ, I'm being conformed to his image, and at the same time, I'm being fruitful and faithful in what God's called me to in the Great Commission, the context where he sent me. But I want that to be enough for me. And what I worry about in this new prosperity gospel is there's no way that can be enough for anyone. Because that's considered, again, settling, unless it's done on this huge, massive, big scale. And only so many people actually can achieve a big, huge, massive scale in terms of influence in their life. It's a very small amount of people. So I worry that this message just isn't for everyone in terms of how it's going to be played out. 
So, Dean, why don't you think God wants us to be happy? I think God wants us to be happy in Him. (laughs) And I think that has to be communicated over and over again. I can't find anywhere in the scriptures where God wants us to be happy by the standards of this world and to find our happiness in the things that are perishing. Uh, So I don't think God wants us to be happy in the context of how the world defines happy. I do believe that God wants us to have joy. I believe that God wants us to not by the lie that there's more to be gained by disobeying him. There is to be gained by obeying him or that to go around him for the things I'm looking for. You know, even the moment, Adam, even the moment would have said that fruit from that tree, that's going to make me happy. And that fruit from that tree still plays out in our lives of us thinking I need this. And I like to compare it to juicy fruit gum, you know, juicy fruit gum in the yellow (laughs) package. When you open a, a piece of juicy fruit gum and put it in your mouth, it is the best taste you've ever had for about three seconds. <laughs> for three <laughs> seconds. And then it totally goes away. And it's done. God doesn't want us to st- – we're talking about not settling. God doesn't want us to settle <laughs> for the juicy fruit gum of this world. That's what I tell our church all the time. And so what you think makes you happy is really oftentimes the world with a big billboard saying, run to me instead of running to the Lord. And, and that's not a happiness that, that God by any means uh, would define as right for his people. Uh, we're we're talking with Dean and Sarah here, talking about getting over yourself, trading believe in yourself religion for Christ-centered Christianity. Um, this really stood out to me, Dean. Explain how you use Instagram in marriage crisis counseling. Well, it's been the big warning sign for me. Where I follow mm. a lot of people on Instagram, I enjoy social media, I have fun with it. And Instagram is, is very local for me, where Twitter is kind of like more of an outside of Tallahassee, yeah. You know, right. connect to pastors and life. Uh, Instagram is really where I can communicate local. So I'm going to scroll through, see what's going on. There'll be often times where I'm scrolling through, and then you notice a pattern for a certain individual that you know that's in your church family, that's in your neighborhood, whoever it might be. And all of a sudden, I see these pictures where it's always this selfie, and every single post is about wellness. And the person's looking either really ripped or really pretty or attractive all the time. And, and, and their spouse randomly is never in the pictures. Hmm. And I start going, oh, no. These are warning signs. I'll tell my wife, put the red flag on this person because – and she'll go, why? And I'll say Instagram. And she'll go, oh, no. And she'll start scrolling through and agree with me. So one time I had someone come to me, and I had been realizing on Instagram that things were bad. And I didn't even know this guy very well. I knew his wife much better. And he just reached out to me randomly, kind of marginally churched at best, and he wanted to meet with me. And I knew exactly what it was going to be about. And I told my wife, I guarantee you it's about his marriage. And she goes, how do you, did he tell you that? I said, no, I've been watching Instagram. So he shows up and sits down in the office. And I said to him, I, before, right before he said, hey, thanks so much for, you can tell he was nervous. He said, thanks so much for meeting with me. And I said, hey, before we go any further, is this about, and I named his wife. Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, how did you know that? And I said, this is going to hmm. sound really strange. And I promise I'm not stalking you. But just from us following each other on Instagram, like I, I realized that something's going on. And what's happening is that in this don't settle for less than God's best for you kind of mindset, what that means is anything doesn't make me happy in the moment. So we're seeing people that are starting to believe that the person responsible for their life being mundane and basic is their spouse. So in marriage counseling, I'll I'll sit down with this individual, these people, it happens all the time. And they will say things to them. They'll never say a bad word about their spouse. They'll say, he's a great guy. She's a great mom, great husband, great dad. But 
we just got married too young, or I just never had a chance to really find myself, or what if God, always God in faith language, what if God has something better, someone better out there for me? You know, don't you Mm -hmm. think that God just wants us to be happy? And really where it started was seeing other friends on Instagram who maybe recently divorced or separated, and they're posting pictures having the good time. You know, kind of living the halfway single life. The nights they don't have the kids, they're out doing the deal now at 40 years old. When you're at home doing laundry and cooking dinner every night and having to work to and you run home from work and go to this. And that in the new, again, the new prosperity, I want to be fair. The new prosperity gospel would never say outright, hey, you go and leave your spouse. Okay. Right. They would not say that. But the messaging it continues to influence people that anything in my life that's holding yeah. me down for achieving my happiness. God doesn't want that in my life. And where mm. does that oftentimes hit closest to home? Literally in the home with your spouse. Mm. And right now, most of the conversations I'm having with marginally church people that would claim to be Christians that are having marriage crisis, it's not about finances. It's not about adultery. It's not about a pornography addiction. It's not about in-laws. It's about this sort of midlife crisis happening a little bit earlier that now is being done in Jesus's name, that God just wants me to be happy. And right now I'm not happy because life's boring. Hmm. So if I suddenly saw you on Instagram, Dean, and you had lost 75 pounds and you were all bulked up, should I be worried about you? Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, if someone's doing that for the sake of health, wonderful, right? That, that, that's, that often that does happen, of course, and we should think that's great. But when it becomes an obsession and everything's about wellness, 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 I go, oh, no, something's going on there. And it's almost like clockwork. It's almost like an undefeated theory. That, that it's that it's happening. So yes, sound the alarm if that happens with me. <laughs> well, I think this next question is related. And how does pop Christianity set up its followers for a faith crisis? I think it's inevitable. And I don't think we've even seen the full results of it yet because it still is very new. Uh, because what's happening is we're assigning promises to God that he's never actually made. Mm-hmm. That he exists for us to reach our potential, to find our destiny, to be happy, to do this and that. And what happens when those things don't take place? I think the same thing we've seen happen with people that have come out of the old prosperity gospel, where they were told that God was going to heal them from their disease, that they just had enough faith, and that didn't actually happen. So therefore, where's God? And I think that's the, what is going to happen in the new prosperity gospel, but it's not going to be about health and wealth. Instead, it's going to be about dreams, potential, life phase. Uh, th- those type of things. And it's the same exact story is going to take place, unfortunately. That's why we have to get our hands around this. And people have to understand and know what's happening. This thing is massive. And it's very popular. And it's very it's very common for people to say, I'm so hopeful for the next generation, because they're serious about the gospel, and they want to make a change. And yes, and amen. But that's still not the majority. The majority yeah. are in this new, just watch Instagram, millions of followers, look at these conferences they put on filling arenas over and over again. And every sadly, T4G, as much as I love that conference and will be yeah. there for the final one, that, that might be the driving, influencing conference of our tribe of, of seminary students and pastors. It is not the driving force in terms of influence when it comes to people in the pews. And, and that's what yeah. we have to realize and, and get our hands around. So for somebody listening to this who's understandably alarmed, are, are there certain authors or books? I mean, I don't want you to have to go through and name a bunch of names, but like, what should somebody do with this? 
if they find out that their child off at college is reading these books or going to this conference or listening to this music, should they be worried about something like that? Are there warning signs or just, again, watch Instagram and see what kind of quotes come up on there? Or what would you recommend to somebody? I say definitely watch Instagram. It's very important. But also if it's in the college context, uh, well, I think the most important decisions you can possibly make in terms of where you're going to go to school is that there's a gospel center church in that community that you can be a part of. I mean, thank God for some great campus ministries, but you also need to be anchored to a church. So I want to be far less worried if somebody shows up on campus and plugs into a great church in that community. I'm going to be far less worried because they're going to be getting fed, the community they're going to have. Like that kind of messaging is not happening in college ministry at our church. You know, yeah. some, some came in with that already and we were able to steer them away from it. Uh, but, you know, you see what's happening, like, girl, wash your face. I mean, sold millions of copies, yeah. right? I mean, that right. we have to pay attention to that. What's happening with, uh, with Jen Hatmaker? Um, I, I think that uh, what's happening at Elevation Church out of Charlotte, I think, is one of the, the main torch carriers for this. And I'm not being disparaging. I'm just saying, okay, this is what they communicate. I mean, I'd say, you know, that's, that's, this is just reality. Yeah. And, and I think these are sort of the, the bell ringers of, of this new messaging. And it, and it can really suck you in because I'm not even saying they aren't Christians. I'm not claiming. I'm not saying they're not believers. I don't want to be unfair. But the messaging can really suck you in because it sounds so right on the surface, that yeah. you think it's okay because Jesus, Bible, God, you know, you see you see people claiming their lives have been changed. You go, oh, this must be okay. Or the famous line, look at all these people, they must be doing something right. So we yeah. think because there's a crowd, it must mean that there's true conviction. And that's where we can get sideways. I mean, I suppose there's a spectrum here, right? So would you put Bethel Redding in this category too? I think that they can influence because of their music that that crowd, but I think they're almost like their own fringe, like kind yeah. of own category of this sort of new Pentecostalism more right. than these. These there there'd be a little if you got into Bethel, like deep dive beyond the music into Bethel, you would see that they're more fringe than they are mainstream. Yeah. The music's kind yeah. of saved their their skins, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I would I would think one of the most influential churches here uh, where I live in Birmingham, Church of the Highlands, would probably have some of this overlap, but yeah. probably some not yes. in some other ways. Yeah. I, so I would, would that be I, fair? I, yeah. I think there's something kind of walk the line. They yeah. kind, of, kind of dip their toe into it. They're still going to preach mm-hmm. Jesus. And ultimately, I think if we sat down with them and said, OK, here's 10 right. things I think are really important, that they would go, oh, yeah, we affirm all those 10 things. But what's happening is when pragmatism is is really the the banner by which you function under, then that's going to be what makes every decision. So it's more a lot of these churches, not even what they do preach, even though it can be problematic, it's what they don't. And they're not going to go certain places because the name of the game is big, huge crowd, great experience. And they'll do it under under the guise of unchurched people. We care about unchurched people. When I'm the yeah. person that believes I care about unchurched people so much, I'm going to talk to them about sin and repentance and grace and Christ yeah. when they're in the door. Right. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, your, your book does not go and talk about names. And I think that's, I think that's a wise choice, but I did want to follow up because I can imagine somebody being very alarmed listening to this and just wondering who exactly does he have in mind there? And when you're talking about Hollis or Hatmaker, or we could do a number of different names there. Um, We've done a lot of those reviews at the Gospel Coalition because we've recognized a lot of the same challenges there. And that's, I mean, I, being being in a community that's very much influenced by Highlands, which is one of the largest churches in the country, I've just experienced people all over the map at that church. And so that's another thing that can be so tricky here is that 
somebody can have a life transforming experience of of confronting their sin and repenting and walking in newness of life and then somebody else can use this as a cover for superficiality. I think that's part of what happens in large churches in general, and especially super large popular churches. But I think it's just wise to have discernment. And I, I would say even, Dean, my my own church, fairly large, um, even mega church category, lots of young people. There was a time when I was stopping and I was thinking, huh, I think somebody could come in and hear what we are preaching, and because the world is so influenced by this therapeutic language, they could simply adopt what we're saying in there without being properly confronted. Um, But of course, we'd also do serial exposition, and that will guide you through certain things, and then all of a sudden you're in a passage that's talking about sexual issues, and now all of a sudden you're confronting a lot of the idolatries and sins that younger people are struggling with or else that they're seeing in in the culture. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. So part of it simply, I mean, I guess I'm setting you up for this, but would part of this simply be a willingness for a church to preach the whole counsel of God? That'd be a major part of it. And yeah. it usually kind of rotates around just a few things, the messaging, and they kind of cycle back. And it's that kind of comeback and, you know, set back into yeah. a comeback, right. potential, you know, step out in faith. Uh, you know, God wants you to, you know, knock down the barriers and go and achieve. And the whole counsel of God is definitely not preach. And it's, yeah. it's just concerning because we're what the old, the old thing people say, the old saying, what you win them with, you win them yeah. to. Right. So if you win someone with the new prosperity gospel, you're going to win them to that kind of faith where that's how they view God. That's how they view the Christian life. And I, I think that we have to pay attention and we have to be willing to have hard conversations and even in the right appropriate context, name names to protect the sheep from that type of mindset. Yeah, that is why we've we've done that in terms of reviews, um, because especially when, and, and I think one thing that's surprising is it usually hits a level when a bunch of people in my church are suddenly talking about a book like that. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, like a girl wash your face or something. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that can't be good <laughs> because they should definitely know better than that. But then you realize how, how consistent that is with so much of the marketing messaging that we hear that dominates in our lives that is just difficult for Christians as well, I think, in many ways, which is why your book is helpful. Now, you alluded to this earlier, but you said you don't think we, we've seen the extent of this new prosperity gospel. So, I mean, what is next then? I mean, maybe it's that faith crisis you talked about, but what else? I think eventually it's going to have to lead to people being detached from churches, because okay. I alluded to you earlier, because church is just never going to be good enough. And right. by that, it means experience. Yeah. Music's never going right. to be good enough. Pastor's never going to be funny enough or clear enough or, or inspirational enough. And I think that's a big thing coming, too, is I'll just kind of watch some clips online and call that church. I think we're going to see that yeah. take place as a result, minus the faith crisis. We're going to see that as well. Yeah. Now, that makes sense. Uh, it, the, the, this movement was going plenty strong before covid but it does appear that that would be a natural segue into what's next of, wait a minute, I, I just, I don't need, I don't need the building at all. I can just experience this at home and I, I don't need this to be Sunday. I don't need to be congregational. I, I can just do this myself at my leisure. And so basically, uh, I mean, sort of like a hyper podcast version of this. We've seen this with podcasting, but now I could see this kind of fully leading outside the church altogether. 
Um, now, last question I have here before we do our final three here with Dean and Sarah. Dean, do you really pray for willingness to be marginalized? Not enough. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's, that's a scary prayer. (laughs) Yeah. But I've had to kind of deal with it. I mean, in town, I mean, we're, we're in a very progressive town. Uh, So to just preach something as clear in the Bible as sexual ethics is going to marginalize you in this community where I live. Uh, Very secular town, large university town. Uh, So it's almost like um, if I pray for it or if if I'm not praying for as much as I should, it's happening in front of my eyes (laughs) just based on what we believe about the Scripture. So locally, I mean, it's it's interesting because we can be viewed as these like raging fundamentalists simply because – you know, we just um, hold to certain truths of the scriptures, but not just hold to them, talk about them. Right. Well, now that's the key because that's the difference. You would probably agree that a lot of these churches, not all of them, but a lot of these churches on paper. Now, we've seen with, with Hatmaker and others, we've seen changes there. But some of the churches you're describing on paper, they would agree with us on these things. Yeah. But they don't talk about them. Yeah. We had someone from our church uh, who went into a same sex relationship and left the church because of it when it was ever a member just came regularly and i i yeah. knew her enough to you know and, and i was talk to her and i'd see her in coffee shops and things like that and i did not know all this had happened so i ran into her and i said hey i haven't seen you in months what what happens and she says oh well you know she's really frank well i'm in a same-sex relationship right now i know that you're a non-affirming church so mm-hmm. i went to and she named the church in town and i said <laughs> i started i didn't mean to but i started giggling a little bit and i said you know that they hold to the exact same things that we hold to concerning this, and which is true, but they never talk about it. Never talk so about it. Like in front of the pastor over, I said, hey, man, I told him the story. He goes, oh, we talk about it at our membership meeting. I'm like, get out of here, man. <laughs> like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so, so you can sit you have a same-sex relationship. I want people who are in a same-sex relationship school to hear the truth of God's word and to hear God's right. love for them and God's design and God's plan for them. But if you can be in a same-sex relationship and sit in a church for that long of a period of time and have no idea what they believe about marriage, whew, <laughs> i got all yeah. kind of problems with that. Well, given how frank the Bible is on these topics and it's given so the clear. Yeah. cultural situation, it's going to be something that's fairly hard to avoid, whether you're in the Old Testament, whether you're preaching through through the Gospels, whether you're preaching through Paul's epistles, Peter. I mean, it, it's going to be very difficult to avoid, but I guess that's the point, is if we're truly Protestant, then we are under the authority of God's Word, but what we've seen is a real uh, pick-and-choose attitude. And, and they're um, not going to be able to withstand, because eventually they're going to have to answer no. the question. Yeah, well, I, I think I think you you and I could probably name some other names of of large influential churches and communicators where where that's that's coming that's coming sooner or later. Um, though I do think the the path forward now appears to be in many of those cases to shift without ever announcing a shift, and then sort of just waking up one day and saying. Oh well, yeah, we made that decision a long time ago. Oh, you didn't know? Well, I mean, yeah. So there—that's one of the things that can be very deceptive. But that's why your book is helpful because we're not looking to just sort of evaluate people by a uh, by a sheet. We're looking to say, are you preaching something that is for all time and all places that's focused on Christ? And everything he taught, <laughs> yes. everything he commanded for us. So 
again, I appreciate that so much about your book, Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself, Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. Got final three with Dean and Sarah. Dean, how do you find calm in the storm? For me, it truly is. This sounds like such a pastor, but it really is through my local church. I'm a huge local church guy. I'm an advocate unapologetically for the local church being God's design, God's plan A for his people. And that really, for me, is the place. And not just a Sunday gathering, but the people. And just being, when I walk into the physical doors of City Church in Tallahassee, or if I'm in a living room with people from City Church of Tallahassee, that honestly is where it happens for me. Like that—that That is the most life-giving uh, area of my life, uh, apart from my own family and my house, is City Church and that membership yeah. and congregation. Oh, that's very encouraging to hear from a pastor, especially these days. Um, Dean, where do you find good news today? Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> First person to ever answer it that way. You know, this is going to sound, this is kind of, kind of almost like another person. Yeah, you know, people hate group chats and think group chats are like the worst thing. That yeah. is where I find so much of what the question you just asked is, is in like-minded pastor mm-hmm. group chats. Just to hear about normal people in normal places going through the same things I'm going through, seeing God work, uh, and just to hear that. I think he's kind of running, just probably like many listeners do, these like running group texts I have. Uh, but yeah. for me, a lot of them with pastors. And let me tell you what, that is just so life-giving, seeing friends in Texas and friends in Tennessee and, and all over the country that are just seeing God work and real things happen. And that really, for me, I just that, that's how I stay connected to these guys. And I'm just really thankful for that. So that's been a biggie for me. All right, to all my group text friends out there, please send me encouraging yeah. news. Yeah, and it can be send snarky, me, send me snarky together, laugh together, like all those things. Well, we, we've got that part covered. I just want more encouraging news. <laughs> I just want more help. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me more of what and God's doing in your church. Questions off each other about scriptures we're preaching. I mean, oh, I mean this, cool. this issue that's happening. How do I think through this? It's great, mm. man. I'm just so thankful for it. Oh, that's really fun. I thought you were just talking about Tom Brady all the time. Oh, well, that's a lot. But <laughs> Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, Dean, what's the last great book you've read? Okay, I hope this counts as a book because it's a collection of es- of essays. Uh, but- I'll, I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. But Christ the Cornerstone, which mm. is a collected essays of John Stott from his days when he had an ongoing column in Christianity Today. So it's these essays from Scott from the 70s and 80s. Lexum put it out, and it's fantastic. I was John Yates, Mm. who was the longtime rector at the Falls Church Anglican in D.C. I was his assistant, his intern assistant. I'm not Anglican, but I I, I went and worked with him just to be with him and and do life with him for that long was incredible. And he was so influenced by Scott, had a personal relationship with Scott. So I really got exposed to a lot of Stott's writings, and I had never seen this before. And I was at the For the Church conference in Kansas City where I was doing a breakout session at Midwestern Seminary, and I saw this book on the table, the resources area, and I said, what is this? And I grabbed it, and it's essays of Stott uh, from his Christianity Today column days. I'd recommend to anybody. It's called Christ the Cornerstone by John Stott, and it's great. I have it up there on my shelf, and I didn't even know it. Well, get, to, <laughs> so, get to work. <laughs> I got I to gotta pull it down. I got to pull it down. Well, that's why I asked the question. That's lovely. My guest on Gospel Bound, Dean and Sarah, author of Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. Dean, just what I hoped we'd be able to learn from you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Gospel Bound. For more information, including past episodes, transcripts, and to sign up for my newsletter, go to tgc.org slash gospelbound. If you like what you've heard, you may also like my new book written with Sarah Zalstra called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. You can find it wherever books are sold. Thank you.